Good evening. We're going to get started tonight. If you have your Bibles tonight, and you would, I want you to find two places with me tonight. Ezra, the seventh chapter, which is where we are going verse by verse, and 1 Timothy, the third chapter. Ezra 7, 1 Timothy 3. As we finished last week, we saw how the children of Israel had, uh, God had been blessing them. They were rebuilding the temple. They were worshiping. God had provided in an amazing way for them. And as we come to chapter 7, there's actually an interesting uh, situation here. There is a span of over 50 years between chapter 6 and chapter 7. Now, some scholars think it's not that long, but I really do believe if you look at it and study it, it's about 56, 57 years. And you say, well, that's a big part of history to skip. And if you study what was going on in the world around uh, this passage of Scripture, there was a lot going on in the world. But I think it's very important to see here that God is concerned about His purposes and His plan in the lives of His people. And so tonight as we start in Ezra chapter 7, we start to learn about the man who the book gets its name from. And so tonight I really want you to think about a couple things as we go through this passage of Scripture. One, I want you to know that uh, God is at work in people. God is at work in people. So many times I think we have fallen into this idea that the church building is the primary focus of what God does. And I'm thankful for church buildings, and church buildings, I think, are needed. But God did not die to redeem a building. And the people are what matter. And so as we begin to look at Ezra and what God is doing in Ezra's life, tonight I want you to know that God wants to work in your life. You say, well, Jake, I've been a Christian so long now. I've done everything there is to do for God, and, and I'm just ready to... I'm ready to relax. Well, that's not true. Maybe you're saying tonight, Jake, I'm so new in my faith, or I'm, I don't know my Bible well enough that I just can't be, I can't be used by God. Tonight, I want you to know that that's not true either. And so tonight, I really want you to see here as well that over a 56-year period, something probably happened to a lot of the characters in Ezra chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, five and six and that would be that most of them have died if you remember some of them were old enough to remember the first temple so they would have been in their late 70s early 80s 90 years old and if you tack 50 some years on top of that probably had gone on to be with the lord even the younger ones that would have been in their 20s or 30s would now be in their late 80s but what we see here is that the work of god does not depend on one person or one group of people. And tonight I hope that you are living your life in such a way that if God calls you home or God moves you, that what you leave is only going to be better than when you found it. I, uh, when I became the pastor here uh, 10 years ago, and before that, of about 11 years ago, when Brother John informed me that he was going to be retiring and that he was going to be talking to the deacons about the fact that he was going to be retiring, I was devastated. 
I mean, I was absolutely devastated. Our family had been going here for about a year and a half. We loved it. We loved him. We loved Sherry. Uh, we loved going to their house and being fed and, and spoiled and uh, just loved him. I mean, he was the, he was the pastor that came to uh, the hospital when my wife had her first miscarriage and had to have a medical procedure. Um, he was our pastor. And so I know many of you in this room uh, have those same feelings. Um, but him leaving was, it was devastating. It was, there was no joy in my heart at all. Uh, I told him, you know, if you'll stay, you know, I'll help you. You know, I know you're old and decrepit, but, you know, uh, you know, because he said, I'm retiring. I just can't keep up anymore. And, and um, but uh, he said, Jake, I, I want you to hear this, that it will be better when I'm gone. God will do more after I'm gone. And I couldn't believe it. I, I honestly did not believe him. And over the last 10 years, what I can tell you is, uh, my love and appreciation for him has only grown, but I have been very frustrated with him over the last 10 years because he didn't retire. He has went and pastored other churches, and so uh, he could have just stayed. But I want you to think about that tonight as a parent, first of all. Uh, is your children and your family growing in a relationship with Jesus Christ that if you were to heaven forbid for them, leave this world, that they would be in a place where they could continue to serve God, continue to honor God, or would the wheels fall off? You've probably seen that in some families, right? The, the, the grandma and grandpa are the ones that gets their kids to church and the grandkids to church and the grandkids to church. And, and you know, as, as long as they're alive, them kids stay right in line. But the moment grandma's gone, grandpa's gone, their faith begins to what? Just waver. And so what we see is that they have not left it better when they left. Now you say, Jake, that's a terrible thing to say because that's a hole that can't be filled. You're right. But the mark of believers and the mark of healthy Christianity is making what? Disciples. Making people who love Jesus and want to serve Him. Same way as a pastor. If the Lord moves me someday or takes me home, I hope that God blesses the next person and the church as it is then more than when I am here. But how many times do we see when a pastor leaves, uh, a Sunday school teacher leaves, that the church does what? It goes down. And that's not God's intent. And so here in chapter 7 of Ezra, a generation has died. A generation of leaders who God used in a mighty way is gone. And the question is, what comes next? And that's where we find ourselves in Ezra chapter 7. And my challenge to you tonight is, what are you leaving behind? What are you leaving behind? So here in verse 1 of chapter 7, if you're taking notes... You can write down this title, God Uses People. Verse 1, it says, Now after these things in the reign of Xerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Uzariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amari, the son of Azariah, the son of Mariah, 
the son of Shariah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishai, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Okay? I pronounced half of those wrong just for your benefit. This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his request according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethim came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Azarchus. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth main month, he came to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances of Israel. Tonight, if you want to leave a legacy of faith, whether it is at church, whether it is at home, there are some things I want to show you from the life of Ezra. It starts out here in verse 1, and it starts to talk about his family. His family would have been priests. His family would have been religious leaders all the way back to when Jerusalem fell. One of his great-grandfathers there would have been killed in 2 Kings chapter 25. And so this is a man who came from a heritage of faith. He came from a legacy of faith. But that faith wasn't always fruitful. You can read back through his family history and see some of the things that they did that they weren't always honoring to God. And so my first challenge for you tonight is if you want to leave a legacy for those who come behind you, you cannot let the failures of those who came before you discourage you. All of us have family members in our family tree that were just a few loads short of a brick. We've all had family members that came before us that have made mistakes and sin and fallen short. Maybe you come from a long line of drunkards or maybe you come from a a long line of womanizers or maybe you come from a long line of deacons as grandparents and great-grandparents and great-grandparents. But regardless of what the generations before you did, it cannot be that is what you rely on to train the next generation. You should be thankful for your heritage. You should celebrate your heritage. You should be honest about your heritage. But you cannot let the negative or the positive keep you from being who God wants you to be. I uh, spend a lot of time around kids and in and out of schools and at ball games. And it usually doesn't take me very long to figure out if someone tells me their name, who their parents are. Because what I think is, holy cow, (laughs) that is a spitting image of your parents. You act the same way, you talk the same way, you look the same way. And, and sometimes that's really good. And sometimes it's not very good. But yet that is something that happens to us. But spiritually, we all have a decision to make. The heritage that I leave my children, the teachings that I give them, the example that I set is not defined by those who came before me. It's a choice my wife and I have to make. And so what we see here is a young man who had a family of faith, but also a family history of failures. Same way about churches. As a church, our church is 200 years old. It's one of the oldest churches in the state of Illinois. It is the, if not one of the oldest Baptist churches in Illinois. 
that is never closed. You say, well, Jake, that's not a big deal. There are a lot of churches that are that way. I can tell you that there is not a church as old as ours that has as much spiritual life as ours. Now, there are new churches that are doing great works, 150 years old, 130 years old, 107 years old, 12 years old. But if you go back and find most churches that are 200-year-olds, you are driving up to a cemetery that used to have a church building. You can think about it in Hamilton County. You can think about all these little places that used to have churches and cemeteries, and now they have cemeteries. That is because the heritage of yesterday cannot be the manna that you are living on today. And that's very important. You and I have to make a decision where we honor the past. We're thankful. I'm thankful that, that a generation of people have served here at Ten Mile, have given sacrificially, that they've paid off buildings and they've given to missions and they've, they've done a lot of things for the kingdom of God. But if that's all that we look forward to, we probably ought to remind ourselves that there have been some failures in the past. At one time, and I can't remember what year it was, maybe in the 60s, the, the church called five pastors and voted on all five of them at one time. And the pastor who got the most votes is the one they hired. It's just the truth. You say, Jake, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. You're absolutely right. Let's try out five, see who we like the most, and that one wins. Well, that's not good. You can go back in the church's history years and years ago and, and look about how they had to deal with church members that were living in sin and, and, and rebelling against God. And, and I can promise you there are probably pastors from the 50s and 60s and 70s that, that were spun out of here every two and a half years that maybe didn't have nice things to say. But yet the past doesn't define who we are today and the legacy that we live. It's a choice that you have to make. You say, oh, I loved growing up in church. I loved revival meetings that would go on for a week and I, I loved Sunday night church and I loved seeing those people in vacation Bible school and I wish we had that today. Well, the choice today is not those people's, but it is ours. If I want to see week-long revival meetings, I've got to be willing to one, pray and come. If I want to see vacation Bible schools that reach whole communities and, and kids come by the hundreds, I've got to be willing to volunteer and pick them up. I heard a lady say this, her and her triplet sisters. There's three of triplets. I think they're triplets, I think. And they said, you know how we came to know the Lord as our personal Savior? I said, I have no idea. She said, Paul and Reva Phillips, who lived south of the church, that would be Betty Rowan's mother and father. She said, we didn't go to church. But when it came time for vacation Bible school, when it came time for revival meetings, they were at our house inviting us to come and hauling them here. And all these years later, that's what they remember and the legacy of faith that was left. And so Ezra, we see that in his story. But I, I want you to see that because it wasn't just about Ezra's past and the, the failures because we need to know something. If it wasn't for those who sacrificed before us, we would have nothing today. And so please don't think that I am criticizing those who have come before us or those who have failed in the past. But today you need to remind yourself that who I was, who we were, doesn't have to define who we will be. The second thing I want to show you tonight is 
not only do we look to the past for blessings and difficulties, we have to make a choice to serve God today. Look what it says here in verse 6. Then Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe. He was a learner of the things of God in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given him. And so I want you to see this today because I want you to flip over to 1 Timothy, the third chapter. I uh, know that you have probably heard this and shared this, but it is actually not biblical. That God calls, doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. And there is some truth to that. Please don't think that. But the Bible makes it abundantly clear that when God wants to use you to pour into other people, He is going to make a change in you. He is going to work in your heart and life. Because as believers, we are examples for those who come behind us. Whether it is as a parent, you can drag your church kids to church all the time. But if you're going to cuss and swear and fight and all the way home from church, you're, you're probably not setting a good example. And so when the Bible talks about leaders, pastors, deacons, He gives us a set of qualifications. And you say, well, how does that apply to Ezra? Ezra was a leader and teacher of the faith. And so God did in him a great work. And so it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop or a pastor, an elder, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. In verse 5, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and snare of the devil. I want you to see verse 5 here tonight. And if he does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And so, a spiritual leader is one who leads by example. Whether you are a pastor, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, just a normal everyday believer of Jesus Christ, you need to set the example of what it looks like to be a child of God, to live out your faith, to be willing to be taught as well as teach. I, uh, I hear from a lot of churches that are looking for pastors. Now, they don't ever want me to be their pastor, but they're like, do you know anyone that's exactly opposite of you that we can hire? And talk to them all the time. And this is usually what they say. Jake, do you have any young guys that are starting to preach? No, not right now. Why? Well, we're looking for a pastor and we want a young, young man. Why do you want a young man? That way they can bring in young families. And I always say, well, are you ever worried about the young man being a novice? Someone young in the faith. Someone that has a temptation to be prideful and to want their way. Yeah, we, we understand that. We, we know how to keep them down. And I'm like, I bet you do. <laughs> Dirty old Baptist. But anyway, uh, but it's, that's their mindset. A young person brings in young families. Well, when I started coming here to church, Brother John was in his mid-60s. I think that's probably right, isn't it? 70, 
Somebody here, 77, 78? 67. 67. I didn't, I didn't even think in our entire mind. We never thought, well, we need a young pastor. We, we, we wanted somewhere where the word was being preached. And that's what we found. That was it. didn't matter to us what the music was like or what the music wasn't like. It didn't matter the quality of Sunday school teachers. At that time for us, we needed to be fed. We needed someone who would open both barrels and fire away. And that's what we found. Now at this stage in our life, we have kids and we have other things to consider. And I understand that. Youth programs, children programs, mission programs. But what you see about Ezra here is he was skilled in knowing God's Word. And friends, tonight, if you want to impact your family for Jesus, if you want to impact the people you work with, if you want to impact the church that you go to, you have to be a student of the Word of God. You have to have a hunger for it, a thirst for it. I want to know what God says. You say, well, good thing I'm not a pastor. Well, let's just go on. There's another group of people that he mentions here in this third chapter. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, so what I believe is that God calls deacons, but yet their wives can either qualify them or disqualify them. We've got men in this church who would make wonderful deacons, but their wives, whoo! And we've got wives in this church that would make wonderful deacons' wives, but their husbands, whoo! Because I think it's a team situation here. And so that's what I believe. I didn't say we've got deacons whose wives bother me. I didn't say that. So just teasing. Because it goes on here and says, Likewise, our wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For those who have served well as a deacon obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. It does not say in that passage of Scripture at any time, we need the people that have the best ideas. We need the people that have the most friendly personalities. We need the people who dress the coolest, act the coolest. We need the people who, who are hometown and homegrown, who know everybody. No, none of those things that most churches look for are anywhere in that chapter. It's all about what God has done in your life and how you are no longer the same. The evidence of your faith. And so that's what Ezra was. He was a person who knew his history. He was a person who knew the Word. Well, I think this is very important because why did God grant Ezra? What happens is the king says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to take this silver. I want you to take this gold. I want to bless you and the children of Israel and your God. And if you would flip down to chapter verse 10 with me, because it talks about how Ezra lived out his faith. Because we can talk about living out our faith. But how did Ezra do that? And that's my challenge to you tonight. How do you go tonight from maybe half-hearted loving God or maybe that you're on the roller coaster right now to really seeking God in a way that your life leaves a legacy to the people around you? Verse 10. 
For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law. The God had convicted him and he had responded. The Bible says that if you will draw near to God, that he will what? Draw near to you. And that's very applicable in many ways. But first and foremost, if you want to know who God is in your life or what God wants for your life, you have to seek Him. You have to diligently seek Him. That means you have to spend time in prayer. That means you have to spend time in fasting. That means you have to spend time in Bible study. That means you have to spend time in relationships with other people of God who will challenge you and strengthen you and encourage you. Some of the most difficult times in my life have been when someone who loves Jesus and loves me has said, Jake, you are headed in the wrong direction. Jake, you have turned on your blinders to the problems in your life. Because why? I was seeking other things. And so tonight I challenge you, are you seeking the Word of God? Do you genuinely want a relationship with God or are you coasting on what parts of the Bible you already know? I think that's a big problem in our church and all churches. Most of us are relying on the Bible that we know instead of daily seeking what the Bible says. Now, when you've been in Sunday school for as long as some of you have been in Sunday school, you've heard the Bible taught multiple times through, at least the big parts, right? If you've been in church multiple, multiple years, you have heard a lot of the same sermons preached over and over and over again. And I can see it on people's faces if we preach very familiar passages of Scripture. So if you quote John 3.16, people are like, they quote it, and they're like, yep, yeah, God so not the world, He's His only begotten Son. It's just, it's memory. It just comes out of us, which is a good thing. But what happens after you repeatedly do something over and over and over again? It becomes a habit. It becomes something you just do. Right? I don't get up every morning thinking, man, I am so ready to brush my teeth today. I am so looking forward to removing all that plaque because I don't want any cavities. And I don't want to have to go to the dentist and see Laura and her clean my teeth and be like, oh, when was the last time you ate popcorn? Seven weeks ago, right? You know, I don't want Dr. Roser to have to come in there and jerk on my teeth, that stupid little metal tool that he used. And be like, well, Jake, you got 17 cavities. I don't wake up every morning and going, I'm going to defeat you, plaque. No, I get up every morning and I brush my teeth and I count in my head because you're supposed to go so long and then I floss and, I, and you just do it because it is what? It's a habit. And if I wasn't worried about my teeth, I wouldn't brush my teeth. I'd just drink coffee and live life and go on with it. But it's something that you do. I don't wake up every morning and think, man, I'm so ready to wash my face because at 37 years old, I still get pimples. I thought... I just get up every morning and wash my face because it's like, oh my goodness gracious, how is this still happening at 37 years old? It's just something you do. And that's how most of us treat our Bible study time. Now, I'm not telling you to be honest tonight with the group, but how many of you, even if you do have a quiet time, that's how you approach it. Well, I read uh, Genesis chapter 17 because that's where we're at in our through the Bible. Oh man, I'm so tired I can't even read it. You read through it, you get halfway to your place of employment, you're like, what was that I read this morning? You see, it becomes a ritual instead of something that we seek diligently. And most of us here tonight in this room, I would say, are saved. I believe most of you probably know the Lord, have a, have a relationship with Him. 
But even that can become stale. Well, I was saved. I'm born again. You know, I, I love church and I, I love being there. But, you know, it's, you know I, I'll be there when I can. You know, I used to love to serve and work and volunteer. But you know what? I just, I've gotten real busy and I just, you know, I'll do what I can when I can. And so we're not seeking him with a desire. Now, I've told this story, but I've been here 10 years. I have no new stories, okay? When I met my wife for the first time, and I knew that I wanted her to show me some attention, uh, I put my no number in her phone by a classic way. Told her I lost my phone and needed her to call it. My friend that was there, well, I've got your number. I call it, and I'm going, don't! Shut up, man! Come on, man, don't be that guy. Don't undercut what I got going here. So she called me, got her number. The next day I called her back and said, who is this, right? So I got an unknown number in my phone. She goes, well, you know who this is? Yeah. Had skill back then. I was seeking her. And then once I realized that she had just finished running track, she was a senior in high school, and I wasn't much older than that, so it wasn't like I was 12 years older than her and, you know, she was in junior high, so let's be careful here. I thought, I need to start running. They don't care what it takes. And so I did. I, I started running. At that time, I was driving, I think, a 1996 Bonneville back and forth to work. One of the big boats, you know. Got the best motor ever made in a car. Probably not the best chick magnet in the world, all right? Headliner was falling in. You know, door handle didn't open. You rolled the window down, got out of it. But I'm a tightwad. I was living at home. I was making some money. And I was saving it. First time I had to go pick her up, you know what I realized? This ain't going to work. I went out and bought a little extended cab Chevy pickup truck, ZR2. Kind of souped up. That way I could get her in there and, and impress her. You know how long I kept that truck? Not very long because I don't like truck payments. You know how long I kept running? Until she was hooked. <laughs> you know how long it was after she was hooked that I sold that truck? Pretty much immediately. I even started dressing cool. I started wearing some khaki shorts and some cool-looking shirts, started gelling my hair. You know how long that lasted? Until she was hooked. That's the honest truth. You could ask her today. But why? I was seeking her. It didn't matter what it took. I was going to get her attention. And that's why you've got to pursue God. Don't lie to Him and fake it, but... You've got to want a relationship with him. Thoughts, questions, is that a, maybe a true statement, not a true statement? All right. But not only did he want to seek God, look what he goes on and says there. To seek the law of God, of the Lord, and to do it. See, a lot of people want the forgiveness of God the blessings of God. They don't want to obey God. That's why each president of both political parties, no matter how wicked they are or what they believe, will end their speeches with a very common statement. And may God bless America. You see it in schools. You see it at jobs, you see it everywhere. We want the blessing of God. I mean, that just makes sense, right? God is the God who owns the cattle of a thousand hills. 
The Bible says that with God there is nothing that is impossible. The Bible says that God has went to heaven to prepare a mansion for those that love Him. The Bible says that heaven is a place where there is no sickness, no death, no pain, no suffering, for the former things have passed away. It is exactly what we all want. A place where the problems of this world can't get there. The blessings that God can provide for us. The Bible says that I've never seen the rich or the righteous go without. The Bible promises that God will meet every need that we have. And so from that standpoint, why would I not want the blessings of God? But yet Jesus didn't just teach that, did He? He said if you want to gain your life, you have to be willing to lose it. You've got to die to self. That He is not only the Savior of our life, but that He is the Lord of our life. But that's not what Ezra said. Ezra said, I want to know the Word of God and I want to do the Word of God. I want to be obedient to God's commands. Now, obedience is a word that no one likes when it's being used at us, right? As a parent, I want my kids to be obedient. But I'm 37 years old and if my parents tell me something I don't want to do, I'm like, I don't have to obey you. I'm a grown man. Pay my own bills. Got my own house. It's just something about it. We're rebellious in our hearts. We're rebellious in our minds. But if you want to leave a legacy as an individual, as a father, as a mother, as a church, you've got to not only want to seek God, but you've got to be committed to obey it. That means I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what it costs. I'm going to do what God's commanded me no matter how many people it upsets. I want Him and I want to follow Him wherever He leads me. Knocking it out of the park tonight, ain't I? And for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And the third and final thing that you can put into practice and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. He said, I don't just want Jesus. He's like, I just don't want a relationship with God. He's like, I don't just want to obey God, but I want to teach others who God is. And that's why I wanted you to flip over there with me again to the chapter in 1 Timothy because the Apostle Paul is setting very specific instructions for the church. Very specific instructions for who God is going to call, who God is going to send a church. And so what I always tell churches that call me is, how much time have you and your church spent reading 1 Timothy chapter 3? Or, if you would like to, because sometimes people will say, well, that's just one chapter in one book, and, and you're taking it out of context, Jay, because that chapter is so male chauvinistic and so restrictive to women and blah, blah, blah. And I say, well, I'm so glad that you, you want context, because if you'd like to flip over two books to the book of Titus, two books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, with me tonight, because I want to show you what it says. In, first, in Titus chapter 1, once again, the Apostle Paul writing, Titus chapter 1 verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, talking to a young man of God who is shepherding a congregation, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I have commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation and insubordination. For a bishop, 
There's that word for pastor, elder. Must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-control. And I struggle with that one when there's food involved, but I'm trying to do better. At least you hadn't given me that biscuit there tonight. I'd have been fine. (laughs) I'm kidding. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. He says you have to have faith. You have to live out your faith because the mission that God has you on is to teach other people. And mom and dads tonight, grandma and grandpas, if you think God saved you and didn't want you to teach your kids and grandkids, you are mistaken. It is your job to train up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You say, Jake, but I drag them here and we listen to you. It's not my job to raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A church family is very important. My kids love coming to church. There's kids here as their age. They love the teaching. They love the people that love them. And my oldest one is so looking forward because she's two years away from going to the youth group. And that's where all the fun happens. And that's where Brian and Stacy are. And, and that's what it's at. They're just, she's counting down the months. And I'm thankful for that. But friends, it's still not their job. It's not Brian and Stacy's job to train up my children and to love God. Whose job is it? It's ours. As a church, though, God is going to continue, I believe, to save sinners, to send people. And it's our job to teach them the things of God. And so tonight as we look here, because it goes on in this passage of Scripture, and I'm not going to read it all for the sake of time tonight, But look what it says in verse 16 of chapter 1 of Titus. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. So we just talked about they wanted to know Him, but yet when it came to the obedience part of it, they said, I don't think I want that. I don't want that. And look what it says here. And I want you to not miss this one word. Being abominable, that's not the word, disobedient, And, what does your Bible say is next there? Whatever translation you have. Worthless? Unfit? Disqualified. I use the New King James Version. You don't have to use that version. I like it the best, okay? That word for disqualified. So the saying that God doesn't call the qualified, but qualifies the called, is not accurate. There are things in my life as a pastor, sins that you can get away with without any earthly consequences that I can't. You say, what do you mean by that? Because it says right here, if your children decide to grow up and at 16 years old leave home, run away from God, deny God, that's terrible. But it doesn't affect you serving God. But it says there in that passage of Scripture, in verse 6, If a man is blazeman, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. You say, Jake, well, that's not talking about adult children. I don't know many little children that run around getting drunk and being insubordinate. It's talking about older children while they still live in your house. It says when that day comes, I should no longer be qualified to be the shepherd of this flock. 
Now, does that mean my 22-year-old child decides to go be a heathen, live on their own, and pay their own bills? Absolutely not. That's on them. But while my children live under my roof, who is responsible for them? I am. And as a pastor, if I cannot teach my children the things of God, how can I stand in the pulpit and tell you, you should? You say, Jake, that's pretty heavy teaching. That's pretty heavy stuff. You're right. But why do you think God used Ezra in chapter 7? Because he had prepared his heart. He was obedient. And he was teaching the Word of God. And so we were going to try to get through all chapter 7 tonight, but we didn't. And so thoughts tonight about leaving a legacy to your children and grandchildren.